If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to Matthew chapter 5. We continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave us. And there should be a note sheet in your folder. I invite you to take that out and take some notes. Also, the scripture passages, the Bible passages are on there. I want to start with a question for you. Uh, Don't answer out loud, but just think about it. How do you know when someone is telling the truth? How do you know when someone's telling the truth? I remember when I was a kid, we used to just say things like, cross my heart, or I swear, when we really wanted to convince somebody that this time we were actually telling the truth. Um, you know, some, some people got really elaborate. They said things like, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. I didn't ever use that one. I just kind of, the whole needle in the eye thing just wasn't real cool to me. But why, why would we, why would people say such things? Well, it's because in this world, sometimes it can be difficult to know whether people are telling the truth or not. And why is that? Because this world is full of liars. Maybe you've heard that old joke. How can you tell when a politician is lying? When his lips are moving? It's not just politicians, is it? It was interesting. Recently I was watching a TED lecture. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those. They can be pretty interesting. And this one speaker was was addressing the topic, how you can tell when someone is lying. And she started her lecture by saying, I have some troubling news for you. The person sitting to your right is a liar. Oh, and so is the person sitting to your left. In fact, the person sitting in your seat is a liar. And you know what was really interesting to me about this? She basically called everybody in the room a liar, and they all laughed. And nobody stood up and said, hey, wait a minute, that isn't true. Why not? Because we all know the entire human race has a problem telling the truth. So, you know, it's just interesting. There just aren't that many things in this world that are absolutely certain. But this is one of them. If you ask anybody, have you ever told a lie? The answer is yes, if they're not lying. So how can we know when someone is telling the truth? Or, I think more importantly, how can people know when we're telling the truth? I don't know if that seems like a big deal to you, but as you're going to see, It is a big deal to Jesus. And he hits the issue head on in our passage for today from the Sermon on the Mount in verses 33 through 37. Um, You know, what Jesus is doing in this sermon is he's telling us what it looks like to be a member of his kingdom. What it looks like to live a life the way He wants us to live it. And what it looks like is living a life 
that is righteous. A life of righteousness, which means living a life that is right in God's eyes. And he's telling us again and again that God's standard of what is right is much, much higher than people often think. In fact, the standard is so high that the only way you and I can possibly reach it is by relying on Jesus to meet the standard for us and then to transform us, to change us, to make us righteous from the inside out. And so here we have yet another example of what true righteousness looks like. So we're in Matthew 5, beginning at verse 33. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. (laughs) And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from Now, once again, Jesus is correcting a misunderstanding, a misconception that his listeners have. He is refuting an idea that was commonly being taught, but did not line up with God's true standard. And he starts out by summarizing what what the law of God, the law of Moses, the Old Testament Scripture taught about Swearing. Now, this is not swearing in the sense of using bad language. This is um, swearing an oath in order to affirm the truth of a statement we're making. That the whole cross my heart thing, or more formally, you know, what someone does in a courtroom when they raise their right hand and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. And the law of Moses says that if you swear an oath, you are obligated to keep it. You have to fulfill it. You have to do exactly what you promised to do. Notice a couple of Old Testament examples that Jesus is summarizing. Leviticus 19.12 You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. In Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, If a man vows a vow to the Lord, to Yahweh, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So the point is, if you invoke the name of God to verify the truth of your statement, then you are absolutely obligated to do what you promise. Because God doesn't want His name misused. And if you break a promise that you made in His name, then you're misusing His name. Okay? Well, now Jesus says, 
don't swear an oath at all. And he doesn't say just don't swear an oath in God's name. He says don't swear an oath in the name of heaven or in earth or in the name of Jerusalem or even your own head. Now what is this all about? Okay, to get this, you need to know how the practice of taking an oath had degenerated and how it had turned into a misuse or certainly a misapplication of the law. See, people started making distinctions between an oath that you took in God's name versus an oath you took in the name of something else. And an oath that you took in the name of something else, like in the name of heaven or earth or Jerusalem or your own head, those oaths were considered less binding than an oath taken in God's name. You were not totally obligated to keep those oaths. Now, if we, if we go further in the book to Matthew chapter 23, we can see Jesus referring to this very practice. He's confronting some religious leaders, and he says to them, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, then he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So, whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. And he says there the same thing he's saying in our passage in Matthew 5. You, know, you swear by anything, somehow that connects to God. Now, how did this happen? Why did the religious leaders create these distinctions between oaths that were binding and oaths that weren't? Why did this happen? Because they wanted two things at the same time that are incompatible. They wanted to not break God's law. They didn't want to be guilty of breaking oaths. But at the same time, they wanted to not have to tell the truth in every situation. Isn't that exactly the same problem we have? Isn't that the problem? I mean, we don't want to be guilty of lying. We don't want to be liars. We certainly don't want people to think we're liars. And yet, there are times when we would prefer not to tell the truth, and yet, have people think that we are. Give them the impression that we are. See, that's what these oaths had become. They had become a way of giving people a false impression. If you knew the trick, if you knew the right verbal formula, you could give somebody the impression that you were making a promise when you really weren't. And then you could come back later and say, well, no, 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 no. Now, see, that really wasn't a promise. See, because I didn't say, so help me God, did I? 
It's like saying, no, 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 you don't. I had my fingers crossed when I said that. Or no, I, that wasn't really a promise. Because I never actually signed anything. You can't hold me to that. So instead of affirming the truth, our promise, our vow, becomes a way of evading the truth. The exact opposite of what a vow is supposed to do. Right? What's the point of a vow? I'm really telling the truth here. And yet vows had become a way of saying, I'm not really telling the truth here. Or you can't hold me to this. And Jesus is saying, no. No, no, no. An oath should never be the substitute for telling the truth. We should never be forced to tell the truth. Well, I really don't want to, but since I said that, I guess I have to. Truthfulness should just be our way of life. Just be our way of life. Jesus is saying, don't play word games. Just tell the truth. I mean, if you mean yes, say yes. If you mean no, say no. Say what you mean, mean what you say. Period. Now, I know there are people who want to apply these words absolutely, and so they will refuse to take any kind of formal vow in a courtroom or wherever. Now, I admire... I admire their desire to obey Jesus, but I think maybe they're missing the point. Because we can, we can avoid taking vows and still violate what Jesus is saying here by playing games with the truth. We just don't use vows to do it. We find other ways. Have you ever said anything to somebody that may have been technically true, but it gave the impression that you meant something other than you actually meant. Ever done that? I've got a friend who's got a library full of books. Many pastors have libraries full of books. And uh, (laughs) he says sometimes people will come in his office and look at his books and they'll say, wow, have you read all those books? And his standard answer is to say, some twice. Now that's a silly example. But it shows how we can give people an impression that we mean one thing when we really mean something else. And I was was checking out some video clips and saw a clip of a president saying one thing, and it turned out the impression he was given isn't what he meant at all, because what he meant involved a very narrow definition of a word that most people wouldn't understand that way. But he's not alone. It's just a human problem. Saying one thing, but trying to give the impression that what we mean is something else. And that's what Jesus is telling us to stop doing. Stop misleading people. Let your yes mean yes. Let your no be no. Keep your word. Be truthful all the time. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? 
But you know what? If we stop here, we're going to be overlooking something very, very important. We're going to be overlooking how truth-telling connects with the gospel, with the good news that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead to give us righteousness as a free gift and to transform us into people who love righteousness and pursue righteousness because of Him. You see, without the Gospel, without the good news of Jesus, all we've got is a rule. And we talk about this on our preaching team when we meet together. Because, you know, we have to preach on these rules sometimes because the Bible's full of rules. But the question we've always got to wrestle with is, how does this connect to the Gospel? Because the Gospel is not just keeping a bunch of rules. That's just moralism. And you got a lot of different philosophies and religions that tell you to be moral people. So what's, what's unique about this? How does this connect the Gospel? Without the Gospel... You know, you might hear this, okay, tell the truth, be truthful. All right, so you'll try harder to tell the truth, at least for a while. But you may not have any clear idea of how telling the truth relates to trusting in Jesus and how trusting in Jesus actually enables us to become truth-tellers. I just cannot emphasize this too strongly. Being a Christian does not mean following Christian rules. Are there Christian rules? Of course there are. Should Christians follow Christian rules? Of course they should. But that's not what makes you a Christian. Being a Christian means knowing Jesus Christ. Trusting Jesus Christ. Loving Jesus Christ. Relying on Jesus Christ experiencing His forgiveness, experiencing His presence, experiencing His life-changing truth and love in our lives. So we've got to make sure we get this. Here's the question we need to know. How does the Gospel transform us into truth-teller? How does the Gospel transform us into truth-teller? And two things really stand out to me. Number one, the Gospel enables us to understand what is really at stake in truth-telling. So that it doesn't just be a, it's not just a rule, it's something much, much deeper. What is really at stake in truth-telling? What's really at stake is Jesus. Why does Jesus want His followers to tell the truth? Because it's the right thing to do? No, it goes much deeper than that. Jesus wants His followers to tell the truth to be truthful because He is truthful. In fact, He is the truth. He said so, John 14.6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life And no one comes to the Father except through me. So the Gospel says that Jesus 
is where we get the truth. It's where we get the truth about God. It's where we get the truth about us. It's where we get the truth about how lost sinners like us can be made right with God as a free gift because Jesus died and rose from the grave. And people need to know this truth. And Jesus has commanded His followers to tell the truth. Okay, but if we're not truthful about other things, why should anyone trust us to tell the truth about God? Why should anyone believe our message about Jesus being the truth if we don't value the truth? See, Jesus always keeps His promises. We were just saying about that. You keep your promises. You are faithful. Well, that means that those who claim that Jesus is their King, they must keep their promises also. See, here's the point. Lying isn't just wrong. Lying is completely out of sync with Jesus, with who He is. Lying is a Satan thing. It's not a Jesus thing. Okay, look at Ephesians 4, verses 20-25. The Apostle Paul is writing to some people who have become Christians, who have become followers of Jesus. And he's just described what their lives used to be like. And now he says this, But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through Look at it. Deceitful desires. Deception. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Look at this. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Do you see it? Do you see that truth-telling is about so much more than just doing the right thing? About being moral? Truth-telling is ultimately about reflecting somebody's likeness. Whose? God's. The likeness of Christ. Truth-telling is ultimately about honoring Jesus Christ. It's about being believable when we tell people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that He's our only hope because He rescues us from lies. He rescues us from deception. He rescues us from the need to pretend. We live in a world that trivializes truth and says, you know, Lying's really not that big of a deal. Everybody does it. But Jesus says, tell the truth. And His Gospel gives us huge reason for doing it. Because He is the truth. And the message about Him is the truth. And we represent Him. Does that help you feel 
the weight of what's at stake in being a truth teller? It helps us understand what's really at stake. But there's something else. There's another way the gospel transforms us into truth tellers, and I think this one's even more important. The gospel enables us to trust Jesus with the consequences of truth telling. It enables us to trust Jesus with the consequences of truth telling. You know, lying ultimately is a form of unbelief. That's true of all sin. You know, that, that is the core of sin in every case. Somewhere in there, there is unbelief. A failure to trust God in some way. <laughs> when we lie, we do it ultimately because we don't trust God. We don't trust God to run things the way we think they ought to be run. We don't trust Him to protect us from the potential negative consequences of telling the truth. Are there sometimes negative consequences to telling the truth, potentially? You better believe it. <laughs> I was watching a really funny old Geico ad. Like, can Geico really save you 15% or whatever they say? Was Abe Lincoln honest? And it shows Abe Lincoln. I mean, not really, but here's Abe Lincoln and his, his wife's putting on a new dress and she says to her husband, does this dress make my backside look big? And he's standing behind her looking at her going, and then he just goes, maybe. And she, run, she you know, storms out of the room. I think the lesson of that is, if you don't want to know don't ask. Now that's that's just kind of silly, but are there sometimes potential negative consequences to telling the truth? You bet there are. You know, people might think less of me if they knew the truth about me. People might use the truth against me in some way. The truth might damage my reputation. The truth might keep me from getting something I want. The truth might keep you from doing something I want you to do. All these bad things might happen. And so, lying becomes a way of trying to control what happens to me. And trying to control what other people do. Okay. So, what am I doing when I try to control my world and control the people in my world? What am I doing? I'm playing God. That's what I'm doing. I'm not trusting God with my life. I'm trying to be God of my life. I want to be the one who decides when I need to tell the truth and when I don't. But the Gospel says that trying to be God of my life does not make my life better. It ruins my life. It destroys my life. And the Gospel says that if I will trust Jesus to be Lord of my life because He died for me, because He rose for me, 
And He did this to give me eternal life and eternal joy. The Gospel says that if I will trust Jesus to be Lord of my life, He will work all things together for my ultimate good, even telling the truth. Romans 8.31 If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, a lot of people can try, but they can't ultimately be successful. He who did not spare His own Son, that's that's the measure of God's love for you. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution? Notice how negative these things are. Or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, not even the most negative consequences you can imagine can ever separate you from God's love for you. So whatever the truth is, however bad it is, however bad it is, the truth can never destroy you if you belong. In fact, Jesus said, the truth will set you free. It'll set you free. One of the things it'll set you free from is the need to pretend. You know, God knows the truth about you. He knows the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And in Jesus Christ, He will never change. Ever. He will never use the truth against you. He will never allow anything to overcome His good plans for you. That is the Gospel. That's the Gospel. That means Jesus sets us free from the need to lie. Because any problems that might come about from telling the truth even if they're really bad consequences, they're only going to be short-term. Every negative consequence one day will be overwhelmed by eternal glory. So trust Christ and tell the truth. Trust Christ and tell the truth. And then I would say, as a, as a you know, sub-point of that, Let's trust Jesus to help us become a people with whom it is safe to tell the truth. You know, Jesus never uses the truth against us. We should never use the truth against one another. It should be absolutely safe for people to tell us the truth. No fear. John Piper said it like this. In the church... 
Let's not have any lying to each other or hypocrisy or duplicity or deception or varnishing the truth or evasiveness or equivocation, but instead, let's be candid with each other and straightforward and plain and frank and open and real and accurate and truthful and honest. Let's walk in the light as He. Let's be people who love the truth, who tell the truth, and with whom it is safe to share the truth. You know, the Bible always, it, it says, speak the truth in love. Why does it say that? Because you can use the truth as a weapon. You can use the truth to beat somebody up. Jesus never does that. Even when the truth hurts, he tells it to us to help us, to save us, to rescue Have you experienced the liberating truth of the gospel? If you're here today and you have not yet said, Jesus, the truth about me is I'm a sinner who's trying to be God in my own life and I'm an utter failure at it and I know I deserve your judgment, but I want to receive your forgiveness. It's all about what you did for me, not what I can do. Set me free. Set me free from the lies that characterize my life. Set me free from the need to pretend. Have you ever done that? Have you ever just given it over to Jesus, said, Jesus, come into my life, set me free? you do that today? Or if you're already a believer in Jesus and you just have found out, I mean, I, it's, it's kind of frightening to find out how easy it is, if you really think about it, to just try to give people the wrong impression. Just kind of fudge it or shade it or varnish it or whatever. You need to be truth tellers. Let's pray. If today you you have not received the free gift of Jesus Christ's righteousness, his forgiveness, his gift of life, it's there for the asking. Just admit to him you need him, ask him to come in, give you the gift of life, the gift of His indwelling presence, His Holy Spirit, make you a part of His family. He'll do it. Father in Heaven, we come before You and we just want to acknowledge that we, like all people, sometimes have a big problem with truth. Lord, I thank You that in Your grace, You know the truth about us, that You love us. And in Jesus, you forgive us. And you accept us. And you work out every consequence for our old. Lord, set us free. Help us put off falsehood. Help us speak the truth in love. Because of what's at stake. Transform us, Lord, in truth and May your truth and your love just saturating everything you say. Give you the praise, Jesus' name.